Welcome to Repod, the podcast discussing podcasting in Europe with industry experts and creators. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci and I'm your host. For the sixth episode of Repod, we invited Henriette Heugerib, who is the CEO and co-founder of Podster, a Danish podcast startup specialized in locating podcasts from all over the world, acquiring intellectual property rights for them, and then reproducing the content to other languages. With Henriette, we discussed the business case for Podster and how they operate. We also talked about the different levels of maturity of European podcast markets and what the future challenges of podcasting in Europe are. So tell us more about Podster. What do you do? And as I phrased it, what is the editorial business case for your startup? What is it that it wants to prove? So at Podster, we really specialize in licensing great podcasts. And we uh, we cherry pick the ones that's able to get a place in the top charts. We're not piggy in terms of market. So we actually look all over the world for great podcasting. And then we produce some new languages and resell again to distributors looking for great content. So licensing, producing, and then sell again. So you can maybe somewhat call as an agent, but uh, whatever we produce, we own. So um, the content that we license, we get to own in the new markets and languages that we get to produce in. Do you have a specific set of languages you focused on until now? Or is it you know global? I mean, well, obviously we need to keep a focus, and and you can't start <laughs> all over the world in one go. But we already have a set eye on the Nordics. It's a very playground kind of uh, area for us because this is where we're located physically, geographically. We also have lots of network here, but we do tune in on global distributors, meaning that let's say Spotify or Amazon or the likes Acast, they're obviously interested in, in great content in multiple markets. And those guys are obviously interesting because they want to feed their content slate everywhere. So if we can display that a show with proven track record and enormous amount of listeners can work and travel uh, across borders, then we hope that obviously they'll look no further and acquire more content from us. I might add that we actually only license scripted formats. So we get a baseline of something that's written and proven and edited. So we're sure of the quality. And from there, we adapt the various shows we get licensing on. So I understand that you take care of the full chain. I think it would be great if we could really go and expand this a bit more in detail and you know make an example, for instance. So let's say that you identify a great podcast series in Sweden. What does Podster do then? Well, first of all, we obviously license the show. And once signed, we receive the scripts from the creator. So let's say it's a true crime show. We may receive 20 or 40 episodes of scripted content. We have an editor reviewing every script that comes in. And then she can sort of look at it from a editorial point of view, if it needs editing or if it's actually just ready to get translated. Most cases, obviously, we need a little editing because let's say it's from Sweden. Maybe they have references to Swedish legislation or uh, Swedish references. So we need to sort of rewrite that so it makes sense to a more global audience. But once it's been translated, we decide on obviously which market it goes on to. And we always work from an English master. So the first language that we translate into is English. And from there we go on to, let's say, Germany or Dutch or Spanish or whatever market we want this show to go out in. 
And then we reach out to even local producers, but also local talent, known creators, and have them narrate our shows in their sort of tone of voice. And this is a key part to Podster, that we don't just find somebody who can narrate or speak a local language. We find somebody who's passionate about the actual genre. So if it's a true crime show, which most shows are when they're hitting the charts, we try to find a creator who's also really passionate about true crime because that type of passion can't just be transferred. It needs to be found in a local voice talent or creator. So we do spend a lot of time in setting up the right creating network and also finding the right voice talent for the shows. We'd rather produce fewer, greater shows and not just spit them out, but really build a brand around the show identities in the various markets. That takes a little time to set up, but it's a key part of Podster. That's fascinating. And it means then that you produce this podcast series in a different language and say that then your return on investment is through advertising mainly, or do you plan then to resell the show in the local market to someone who will then take it as his or show? Yeah, the latter. So we try to resell these shows to a new distributor. And, you know, even sometimes the distributor is the same from the original one. Let's say we license the Swedish show that lies with Acast. That show may even be interesting to Acast in the U.S., so it doesn't limit us in terms of selling to the same player. It may even support them a little in their commercial journey to make global commercial content. So we try to sell the shows to distributors and they may be, you know, ad-driven distributors or premium platforms like Podimo or Podme. That's, you know, less important to us, but the responsibility of building the brand and the audience and everything lies with the distributing party. Really cool. And uh, I understand that you take the risk of producing it before you're even able to, to sell it, so to speak. Exactly. And I think that is what is appealing to the creator and community. So my experience with creators are that they are artists and they're just really talented in storytelling and writing magnificent scripts. It's not surprising to me anymore at all why these shows perform and get such huge amount of listeners, but they do need help with the commercial part of it. Most of them are journalists or they do have maybe even some editorial background, but some are also just very interested in true crime. And for them to just focus on their show and writing great scripts is what keeps them happy while we can focus on the commercial side of it and adapt their shows to new markets and secure that they actually get decent payment for all their hard work. So do the authors of the original podcast series therefore get some sort of royalties in all of this? Or Yeah, you're completely right that it's exactly like the publishing industry. So again, this is not a new model. It's very familiar to, let's say, book publishers where you pay authors a royalty fee and you publish across countries. So exactly the same as what we're doing with scripted formats and podcasting. We pay royalties whenever it's published in a new language and sold to a distributor. You can say that the audiobook is what movies, arts, and Netflix, and podcasting is what series, arts, and Netflix. That's how I usually try to explain what podcasting is because, you know, the word podcasting sometimes scares or puzzles the business still. But serial format is here to stay and gaining like a faithful audience is, is definitely something that the podcast can do. Brilliant. It's beautiful because I think it's the first time I really meet a, a company which specifically tries as really as its core business to connect markets in Europe in terms of podcasting. And I believe that this is something which is 
really missing, meaning that for different reasons, all national podcasting markets, podcast markets are really national bound for cultural characteristic. I mean, audio, you don't have to say the power of images, you have different power in audio, but which makes the content intrinsically more difficult to adapt to users in different or movie watchers in, in different countries because you just cannot put the subtitles on, on an audio and, and that's it. So I think this is really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, how did you come to this idea? Initially, it actually came out of a brainstorm with my former co-founder of Fairytale. So we had multiple ideas on the drawing board, but everything revolved around audio and traveling content. I think that's a big part of who we are. He comes from a technical background and I come from a commercial background. Actually, it was as simple as trying to map out what type of possibilities that the podcast medium have with us knowing what happened in publishing and movies, music and magazines former. And then obviously, like any other startup, going from idea to actually testing out your thoughts in a real market, your model changed a little. But to be honest, it's only been for the better. What sort of surprised me is the quality of the shows that's coming in and, and the level of partnerships that we're able to make based on relatively simple uh, setup. If you don't mind, I'd like to just maybe a couple of questions more really on Podster. For instance, we, Bullmedia, the podcast agency I work for, we have produced podcast series in different languages and up to seven languages. So from you know English, French, Hungarian, Greek. So we explored a bit, you know, different languages. And this is related to the fact that, you know, our business model relies on a variety of forms of incomes. And one of those is, you know, European projects as well. So we have the chance to develop projects which are really um, creative and original at times. And we have been thinking about remakes in different languages of some shows we made already. But we had, for instance, the feeling that sometimes a podcast show which worked really well in one given market has distinctive feature, which makes it almost impossible to do it also in the other, in another language. Mm -hmm. And other times we have had this experience that we produced two podcast series at the same time in two different languages and that only one worked and the other didn't work. So what's your thought about that? Is there any specific elements that you consider as red lines for which you know, this cannot be done in another language? You mentioned that you focus on scripted content, but is there anything more than that that we can say about what are the, you know, the red lines which make it impossible for podcast users be adapted to a different market? We definitely look at market maturity. Let's take a market like Italy. It's not that mature podcast-wise, whereas Spain is growing because the audiobook industry is also really growing massively with strings over to uh, Latin America. There's been made lots of analysis and, you know, there are also free platforms like Chartable.com that we use as a tool to understand how big are these shows. Obviously, lots of talks with the creating community and the media houses that we license from. But mark maturity, how similar they are in their listening behavior, what types of show hits, what types of voices are used, you know, male, female, those types of things, which is a little more culturally bound in order to adapt the shows to the specific markets as well. Really interesting. Can I ask you, given that you mentioned Italy and its maturity and I'm Italian, what makes you say that Italy is, is not mature as other markets? Well, I've spoken to one of the number one Italian creators. We've actually licensed her show and I know her tests from Apple channels and her numbers, even though she made it to a number one place in Chartable, 
on Spotify and Apple. It's still early days for an Italian audience to fully take on podcasting. And I think you'll just see that, you know, once you go further down in Southern Europe, whereas the cold north is just really driving subscription and listening behavior and tech in some ways. So like other businesses, like let's say the audiobook industry or even movie industry, premium platforms, it takes a little longer. There's also a rule of thumb, like the UK is 18 months behind the Nordics. That's, I've heard it multiple times. So you just see these types of tendencies when you're working with markets, no matter the medium. Those are just my learnings from working with various platforms and content for many years now. Really interesting. And I agree. I mean, knowing a bit more the Italian market or as a consumer also, I tend to agree that in Italy, podcasting is still mostly seen as an editorial addition to other types of medium, which, for instance, editorial companies might use. But there's not yet the feeling that it's an industry which deserves attention on its own as an industry. Not so much talks about, you know, business models, about advertising, how it stays everything connected. Is it profitable at all? Really little advertising, even, you know, physical advertising, almost nothing around, which I think is also a signal of that. So I pretty much agree, actually. And I think, you know, the word podcast is still new <laughs> to many. I mean, the talks that we've had with some distributors, even in the Nordics, they're sometimes asking, what is a podcast really? So even, you know, defining what that piece of audio is, is still something that people is asking. Nobody's asking what streaming is anymore. So I think it's just a matter of time where we're trying to adapt ourselves into these new platforms and where big players like Podimo or Spotify or YouTube even, they push this premium agenda and also push the fact that content is getting better because anybody could have a podcast. That's sort of been the tendency, right? That if you had something to say, you could just make a podcast. So that's just also, you know, devalueize the medium a little bit. But professionalizing it means that you have to get up a little bit earlier in order to reach those massive volumes of listeners and followers. You really need to do your homework. It's not just having a mic and talking. It's, it's also preparing and making a script and securing that you actually have a story to tell. Absolutely. And um, I also like to underline what you said about the, you know, the, the difference between the Nordic era, the UK and Southern Europe. I think that this market, uh, you know, mirrors a bit some structural differences also in economics more at large, with Spain being the outlier because of that connection with Latin America, which makes it a huge market, actually. I'd like also to, you know, in the second part, maybe of our chat, to take the chance thanks to your knowledge about Denmark specifically, but you will then tell me if we can stay on Denmark only. But um, in Report, we try also to have these chats with professionals, with entrepreneurs, with creators and talk about their activities, but also take the chance to talk about the market they're in, mainly in terms of location. Now, I understand your business is cross-border and kind, but I'd like to understand more about Denmark. So you mentioned already Podimo as being a really relevant player in the market. Can you give us an overview of who the main players are in, in Denmark? Yeah, definitely. Podimo, definitely a game changer. Just an example is that like there's also been a Europe, there's been radio days. I think actually you can say directly that due to Podimo's launching, they renamed it Audio Days here in Denmark. So it's 
prior been just radio people attending these events. And obviously lots of those are radio people still, but podcasting is just so big now due to Podimo here. So um, they managed to rebrand the session to audio days. That's saying a lot, I have to say. But then we also have a big broadcast market in the Nordics and Denmark, particularly we have Danish radio. They push a lot of uh, great podcasts and they're free being, you know, broadcast. And then we have the newspapers. We have Bauer Media, commercial radio, and then some big producers like Heartbeats and Third Year. So I'd say those are the biggest player here. If you had to trace a bit of the key milestones of the development of the podcast market in Denmark, which would those be? I think obviously Apple Podcasts was sort of the platform everyone first started using. And to be honest, they haven't changed for the past 10 years. <laughs> so it's still the, very much the same app and curated the same way. It seemed at that time a very uh, niche kind of medium. And I think that was when I started engaging with podcasts because I used it for uh, building my previous company that I could find a lot of entrepreneurial specific podcasts that I enjoyed while walking with a stroller because I built fairy tale while being on maternity leave. So that was sort of a win-win for me <laughs> to use my time. But I'd have to say it's very homogenous. It's the same big platforms that's sort of creating podcasts. And whenever an indie creator makes a success of themselves, they sort of end up on a commercial platform at the end of the day. So in that sense, it's not that competitive. I mean, you may have, what, uh, three, four big players, and they seem to be owning indie creators as well at the end of the day. There is an example of one, and they're sort of set with Bauer at this time. It's a true crime show, and it's they reach 400,000 listeners a week, which is crazy in a small market like Denmark, where, what, not even 6 million people or something. So in that sense, it's pretty impressive. And again, this is why I find podcasting so interesting. The numbers, if you found these types of numbers in the audio industry or in the movie industry, you'd be so amazed <laughs> because they're so difficult to reach. And it seems like podcasting has sort of gone under the radar in terms of numbers. Again, the commercial players don't really yet understand how big an audience these guys can actually bring in, but they will because... These types of numbers is only created because of the great content that they do. And this is why I don't feel Podster as a business is risky because it, it really proves itself every time. So to close up with the discussion on, on Denmark itself, do you believe that there is a sort of specificity related to Denmark in terms, it can be editorial terms, it can be anything related to podcast, of course, just to give an example in earlier chats I had, for instance, about France, someone from ACAST was telling me that the whole thing originated a bit from, you know, also kind of feminist voices raising their points through podcasting. And so there continues to be that vibe a bit of indie producers really attached to those kind of topics. It's just an example. Or for instance, you know, someone told me that Italy has probably the most beautiful covers in podcasting. And this might relate to the, to the passion for design in, in Italy. And I found these comments, maybe they're wrong. I don't know, but they're interesting at least. And I was wondering if there's anything to Denmark that you would like to share. Hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's pretty similar to the rest of the Nordics. It's very, you know, an either talent driven or a true crime hitting the charts. So that's very homogenous compared to other sort of developed markets within podcasting. 
one of the key factors to podcasting also being a big success in a Danish territory is the big public service platform. Obviously, they have unlimited funds, pretty much, at least seen from a commercial business perspective. So documentary reporting, that time of big journalism, something that they really emphasize. And they have a daily show also with various topics, but it's just really well made. And I think almost, I'm guessing here, but maybe a fourth of the Danish population listens to this. So they can really drive big numbers with the public service platform we have. Interesting. And just to really close, do we have a sort of Danish serial? So a podcast series that really kind of made the headlines at the beginning. I found this in, in many markets that there is one show that people tell me that was the kind of the beginning. I'd say that a show in Danish called Markeland, Darkland, the true crime series that I mentioned before with the 400,000 listeners is definitely one that has also drawn headlines, you know, also ethical discussions, like all true crime shows sometimes hits. They've been around for almost five years. This is where I see some of the major talents. This is where they started about four to five years ago. And they've, in effect, become the biggest ones. I'd like to close the circle, so to speak, with two questions. Uh, one is, what is the main challenge you see as an entrepreneur in the podcasting industry and market? I was doing the same comment to Marvin in the latest chat. In the podcasting industry, there is a tendency to say that it's all shiny and it's all booming and it's all cool. But I think it's useful that we also kind of make the effort to pick maybe the main challenges to understand where the bottlenecks are still in terms of development. So what would that be in your opinion? I actually see maybe three issues, to be honest. One, the revenue streams are still somewhat experimental. So, you know, most audio productions are based on ad sales, which makes it a big joker for a creator. Like when you place your uh, show on, let's say, a cast, you don't know how it's going to be formed. You don't know how it's going to get supported. And it's only if and when it, something good happens in terms of numbers at a KPI that's been set by a distributor that they may look at it. So that makes it not that grateful to work with because the workload is the same, whether you're just starting or you're an old timer, I'd say, especially within scripted content. Whereas, you know, in movie industry, you get paid by a price per minute, for instance. Additionally, in terms of revenue streams, some genres, you know, they're just not popular to buy ads in, even though they attract huge audiences. And on commercial TV, nobody would be hesitant having ads between a crime show or a crime series. But in podcasting, advertisers are sort of trying to avoid having these ads in it. Despite the fact that the audience, you know, are young women or whatever demographics you're looking for. So that's kind of off so far still. And the second thing is that it's still a very new format to some. I mean, the streaming industry is trying to understand what a podcast actually is still. It still needs a little explaining and we need to be more, you know, focusing on commercializing this medium and pushing the fact that this content is actually worth paying for as well, like any other traveling content. And the third and last thing is that it's it's very locally focused, meaning that even the biggest players, even though they're global, they're still not streamlining their content acquisition. So it's a very local game in terms of defining what types of content you want to release. So let's say a head of content in Norway may like true crime, but the head of content in Germany hates it. So from a commercial perspective, it's not that efficient to buy content. So I think um, those are the three things that, that sort of still little early days in terms of podcasting. 
Amazing. And I guess here the keyword in startup language would be probably evangelization. There needs to be a lot still. <laughs> True. I do feel like a podcast evangelist sometimes. I would like to close it with what's next for Podster. So what are your next steps as a business? What are you looking forward to do? Um, milestones? What's on the horizon for you? Well, obviously, we'll keep on licensing more top shows around the world. And uh, we're definitely also going to test a whole bunch. So not necessarily just waiting for distributors to buy our shows, but also publish some ourselves in markets we see have great audiences and also loving podcasts. For instance, we're looking at Indonesia and China as uh, test markets because they also really enjoy podcasting. So lots of fun adaptions coming up in languages we don't necessarily speak. But uh, since the fact we're collaborating with local producers, there's a great trust between us. And yeah, just be focusing on global production that anybody who's looking for great traveling content They'll look to us and be sure of the fact that they're actually going to buy a content hit. Brilliant, Henrik. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today here. Of course. And that's it for the sixth episode of Repod, the podcast produced by the Brussels-based Bull Media Podcast Agency, discussing podcasting in Europe with industry experts and creators. Meanwhile, on May 24th and 25th, we'll be in London for the podcast show. If you'd like to meet up and grab a coffee, you can get in touch at hello at bullmedia.eu. That's hello at b-u-l-l-e media.eu. Otherwise, talk to you soon on the next episode of Report European Podcasting.